Welcome to the Mortcast, part two of my retelling of the melodrama, The Trade of Carmelo Anthony in 2011. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Now's a good time to pick yourself up a bottle of that 2017 Cabernet, what I've been telling y'all. This is the time to go down and get that. But they have a whole bunch of other things you can get. Um, they got Malbecs. They got some Syrahs. They got some Pinot, obviously, because these are grapes from vineyards in Sonoma County, California. But they also have Whites. They got uh, Rieslings with partnerships with Western Slope Wineries. But they got, you know, all a bunch more than that, uh, that... Coltaris, uh, Storm Cellars, and Restoration, all are great partners of Blanchard Family Wines. Truly a local Colorado business. But they got whites, too. They got, like, blends, rosés, anything you want to satisfy your palate for wine. Go to bfwdenver.com and pick yourself up a bottle or get yourself uh, some of the swag they got there or book yourself a table if you want to go down and reserve yourself a spot. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Go to bfwdenver.com to pick yourself up a bottle or get yourself some of that swag or book yourself a table. They're on Facebook and Instagram at Blanchard Family Wines. When you go in or you talk to them, tell them Jeff Morton from CSU Podcast I sent you there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest... Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. This is my uh, uh, kind of essay about, because my my frustration of Carmelo's uh, kind of revisionist history of himself has kind of um, um, prompted me to do this. And this is part two, and we're going to pick up with the 2010 offseason. As I said in the last podcast that Mello was legitimately frustrated the Nuggets sat on their hands at the deadline of 2010. Um, now, there was a bunch of things that happened at the same time. Um, in the de- Before, it really wasn't known until after the deadline. But leading up to the deadline, the Nuggets had the second best record in the league, and there was a feeling that the Nuggets had done enough in the previous offseason, and this is just from an outsider's perspective with the addition of Aaron Aflalo, to really uh, kind of catapult the Nuggets a little further than they were. And there was, without a doubt, in, in, in anyone's mind, uh, if you were playing a, paying close attention in 2010, that the Nuggets in 2009-10 were a better team than they were the year before, um, evidenced by their better record heading into the All-Star break in February of 2010. Uh, so the need to get a player or two wasn't there necessarily, but it was greatly and heavily influenced by the reluctance of Stan Kroenke to go into the luxury tax, or at least go too far into the luxury tax. This carried into uh, the post-George Carl decision to, uh, or, or revelation, I should say, that he had throat and neck cancer. Uh, Carmelo and George had a uh, tense relationship. And uh, it, I don't think you could say it ever improved. Um, they tolerated each other. The the Nuggets assistant, uh, Tim Gergerich, who was basically the good guy, he was able to talk to J.R. Smith. He was able to talk to Carmelo Anthony. He was the guy that really made a lot of Carl's um, uh, 
decision making uh, a lot more palatable to certain players, uh, Gr Smith and Carmelo Anthony and a couple others. So you know, namely, um, but George Carl and Carmelo Anthony never got along, and that relationship didn't heal at all in the entire time that they were together as player coach. And uh, to say this didn't influence Carmelo Anthony's decision-making to get out of Denver would be probably foolish. Um, you could probably say within a, without a shadow of a doubt that this was, this was something that factored into his decision-making when he went into the offseason of 2010 with a contract extension from Mark Workentine and uh, Rex Chapman on the table. Um, but going into the last part of the 2009-10 season, um, the Nuggets were, you know, went from the second-best record in the league to uh, the fourth-best record in the Western Conference. They stumbled into the playoffs. Um, they were terribly coached by Adrian Dantley. None of the players respected him. It was even Chauncey Billups. It was just not pretty. They kind of get into the playoffs, and they, they, they kind of fumble around. The game one against Utah, they should have won. Uh, uh, Miles, I forgot his first name, he steps out of bounds. The, the, uh, the, uh, they didn't call it. The uh, officials did not call that, and it was pretty blatantly he was out of bounds. And uh, he, uh, they went on to score what uh, amounts to the game-winning basket in uh, in 2000, excuse me, in uh, in game one, and that set the tone for the rest of the series. Nuggets came back to tie it in game two, but really, once it went to Utah, the Nuggets never stood a chance, and they ended up losing in six games, despite a great game from one of the Graham brothers in game six. <laughs> but the, the the way the Nuggets went out in that that particular first round uh, was was disheartening for everyone involved. And it colored everything about the 2010 offseason. An article in, I believe, June or July of 2010 from Mark Kisler revealed that despite the Nuggers offering Mello the max he could possibly get, which was three years, $65 million, to add to his one year that he got, uh, Mello was hesitating to sign it. And from that moment on, uh, things descended into, in Denver at least, chaos. Um, a lot of things, and what people don't talk about, uh, that were hovering over the Denver Nuggets at the time, was Stan Kroenke's eventual full ownership of the then St. Louis Rams. And to say the organization was consumed by that would probably be an understatement. There were there were lots of things that influenced the trajectory of the two thousand nine or excuse me the ten two thousand ten off season. St. Kroenke uh, was uh, poised to take it uh, over. St. Louis Rams, but in order to do that, due to the NBA's cross-ownership rules, which means that you can't own a professional team in a different city that you own a, a uh, NFL team, that um, Stan Kroenke had to put 
uh, the Denver Nuggets into a trust that was not managed by him. Um, it was, it's called, and this was 100% accurate, this was called a revocable trust that was headed up by Ann Walton Cronkey, his uh, richer wife <laughs> at the time. Uh, so, uh, nominally, Ann Cronkey, to this day, still, quote-unquote, owns the Denver Nuggets, um, while Stan Cronkey owns Cronkey Sports uh, Enterprises, or excuse me, now Cronkey Sports and Entertainment, and it's all its subsidiary teams. Uh, technically, the Denver Nuggets are owned by Ann Walton Cronkey and governed by Josh Cronkey. You know, that includes the Avalanche. So these teams were put into a, a trust um, that is governed by uh, Josh Cronkey. All that happened in 2010 offseason. Uh, one of the first decisions that was made after the Nuggets went through free agency and managed to get Al Harrington on a, uh, on a, uh, I believe it was the mid-level exception uh, deal for a couple of years, um, they were able to lure uh, uh, him in there. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, a what you would call a blockbuster move. These were very tiny on the edges moves that the Nuggets have been making for the previous three off seasons, starting with, with Marcus Camby uh, being dumped for avoiding the tax purposes in 2008. Um, by the way, the Nuggets got in a trade exception from that, that Mark Workentine called Big Bertha. If he wanted to use a, uh, that exception on a trade. And of course that exception was never used because nine times out of 10 big trade exceptions are only used in pieces and they're never used as a whole. Um, it's just the way, the way things have gone for years in the NBA. So outside of Al Harrington coming in and, uh, then Sheldon Williams on a, on an even smaller deal, uh, a.k.a. Uh, Candace Parker's husband. Um, the the Nuggets really just kind of worked on the edges, and it just pisses Mellow off. The Nuggets before that had gone into the draft uh, with no picks, and they made a very, and I would describe that as futile, attempt to tr get by a second-round draft pick. Um, the Nuggets had spent the majority of their time post-2006 not really using their draft picks. Uh, a lot of them had been traded. Um, some of them were sold. Uh, I believe Sergio, the Nuggets had drafted in 2009, Sergio Lull, who never saw uh, any time in a different Nuggets uniform, and I believe he was sold. I believe that pick was sold or was traded to the Spurs or something like that, if I remember correctly. Um, and outside of Sonny Weems in 2008, the Nuggets really never used any draft picks. So they were making, they made what, as I said, futile attempts to come in. And Rex Chapman ran the post-draft uh, press conference in 2008. Excuse me, not 2008, 2010. And it just, he looked defeated. He looked completely defeated. And that was a portent of things to come. The Nuggets post-free agency are not necessarily what you would call a better team. They were very old. Um, the team, 
uh, were, uh, let's see, Chauncey Billups was coming into his last guaranteed year. His next year was going to be a team option. This was Kenny Martin's last year on contract. This was J.R. Smith's last year on contract. Uh, Mello was already pissed off at the organization for letting Jonte Jones go for whatever reason, uh, even though they got better with Aaron Aflalo. And all this collided at the same time Mello was refusing to sign his extension, along with the coup de grace of Rex Chapman and Mark Workentine being let go by Josh Kroenke, or their contracts were allowed to lapse. And in comes, after a couple weeks of searching, Masai Ujiri, who was a international scout for the Nuggets way back in the early days of Carmelo Anthony's time in Denver, back in 2004 or five. This was, um, Masai had kind of cut his teeth under uh, one of the Colangelos in Toronto, and he had come back to the Nuggets after, you know, it was like, it was like Denver, then it goes to Toronto, then it comes back to Denver. And Josh Kroenke and he set about trying to convince Mello to sign the deal. Famously, they go out to see Carmelo Anthony, and um, basically Mello tells them no. Now, here is where the timeline gets muddled specifically by Carmelo Anthony. So on the second half of this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about the events post Carmelo saying that he wanted out. Well, now it's time to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, NFL is upon us, folks. It's time. It's this year. It's, it's this year. Of course, it's this year. It's every year, but it's this time, and people are really uh, looking forward to getting out and betting on some games. And DraftKings Sportsbook is your uh, your place to uh, to to pick up these the best odds boosts and this special promo. The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't miss offer for Week One. Bet just one dollar on any NFL game during the first week of the season and receive two hundred dollars in free bets instantly, no matter what. Take advantage of this limited time offer now. You heard right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game. Head on over to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and check out all the great promotions and daily odds boosts. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS to receive $200 in free bets when you place a a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game. That's promo code MHS to get your free $200 and free bets instantly. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Mello tells Masai Ujiri and Josh Kroenke that he wants to go, and he would prefer to go to the New York Knicks. Um, now, rumors have said that he said Chicago, which I, I, there are 
very differing accounts on whether he would be willing to go there. Nowhere included on that was the New Jersey Nets. Uh, this is key for the rest of the uh, of this kind of 15 minutes we got here. Um, it was he made it clear he wanted he wanted gone, and this is shortly, and I do mean shortly after Masai was hired. Hired, Mello had been offered the contract extension by Morkentine and Chapman. Uh, they gave him the max they could possibly give him, and he wouldn't sign. Um, now, there are conflicting reports about whether he, at that time, had expressed anything to Morgantine or Chapman about heading out. Uh, Mello has said on the record that his concerns at the time were the Nuggets were going to rebuild. Um, there are... That is interesting in that... It kind of flies in the face of lots of things that were happening pre-Mello even getting the contract. Sometime during the season, uh, Chris Weber, who actually knows Carmelo Anthony pretty well, hinted in an interview that Carmelo Anthony may be very interested in the New York Knicks. And this was months prior to the 2010 offseason when... Uh, and even before the Nuggets had extended Carmelo Anthony, uh, the contract extension. And there were rumblings going on all the way back then about Melo and having his eye on New York specifically. Not New Jersey. New York. And Chris, Chris Weber kind of let the cat out of the bag, but it went largely ignored. And this is pre-social uh, media becoming the behemoth it is now, right? This is, this is, the, inf- this is the first couple of years of Twitter. Uh, Facebook was still the major social media part. So there, there was just not this proliferation of information. If Weber had said something like that now, it would, you know, NBA Central would have it immediately. The aggregators would have it just almost immediately, and it would spread like wildfire. I say wildflower? Wildfire. And it wasn't like that. But that happened a couple months before shit hit the fan, so to speak. The seed was already been planted long before Mello was extended a contract. A lot of Carmelo's frustration for we what we can gather and from what I know from based on sources is that it was based on the Nuggets lack of desire to improve the roster they already had and compete with the Lakers. Now, during 2011, the 10-11 season, the Lakers would fall apart and they would never be the same. They'd get swept by the eventual champion Dallas Mavericks in the 2011 playoffs. Carmelo didn't know that, though. So, factoring into, which was very legit, by the way, Stan Kroenke being extremely reluctant to make moves to put the Nuggets well into the tax... Uh, for a team that was contending, was probably Mello's, one of Mello's factors. Another factor was his family life and the fact that he just, he 
felt more comfortable on the East Coast. I said this over and over. Do not care in the slightest that Miller wanted to be in New York. Uh, he could have gone into the 2011 offseason and, well, excuse me, to 11, I think 11-12 was his last year. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was the offseason 2011. He could have gone into that and just gone as a free agent. And the, the Nuggets wouldn't have been able to do anything. They sent him the contract extension largely because it protected them. Any sign-and-trade deal would protect the Nuggets against uh, a Dikembe Mutombo-type free agency defection, which the Nuggets get nothing in return. So the allure of the, of the extension and the, and the quote, sign-and-trade would probably protect the Nuggets. All of this was kind of messed up by the fact that the Nuggets were changing management right in the midst of what was going on with Carmelo. Um, for all all I've been able to glean, he mis- actually Melo liked Masai, um, but there were some things going on. Like the Nuggets roster was in flux. However, as opposed to Carmelo Anthony's timeline that he's trying to espouse now, the, he had already told the Nuggets that he wanted to be out, wanted to be traded, prior to Masai Ujiri saying anything about retooling the roster and going younger, which Masai did say. That was later. Melo asked out before. And these things were, you know, whether they were factors in Melo, you know, that and the fact that George Carl was still around and he didn't have a good relationship with George Carl. All this stuff was happening at the same time. All of this went into a stew of craziness, absolute craziness, in that 2010 offseason. Mello fully expected to be traded by Media Day, and he wasn't. And it made for one of the most awkward Media Days I have ever seen. You could tell Mello did not want to be there, and it was just awkward as heck. Mello fully, fully expected to be traded prior to the Nuggets starting that season. However, Masai Ujiri had made the calculation that they could maximize their leverage by seeing how much they could extract from the New York Knicks, which was Carmelo Anthony's preferred place to go. Let us dispel this notion again. Carmelo Anthony had no intention or desire to go to the New Jersey Nets, who were then there, even with them moving to Brooklyn. Carmelo Anthony wanted to go specifically to the New York Knicks. That was it. Period. End of story. Carmelo Anthony had his eyes on the Knicks. Where things get a little more muddled is the fact that the longer this drug into the season the more it weighed on the team. The, and it's interesting to, to kind of look back on this. And I, I've gone on record as saying that, that George Carl's, George Carl's uh, coaching job in the 2010-11 season was maybe his best one coming off of cancer. Um, I don't know how he held that team together, but the fact that the Nuggets were even mediocre by the time the trade deadline in 2011 rolled around is a miracle. Is an absolute miracle. 
That Nuggets team was being held together by bailing wire and duct tape at that point. Um, and look, this was all part of the strategy. The Nuggets uh, were going to maximize everything they got from the New York Knicks. So eventually, Mello in two February after 2011 gets traded to the New York Knicks for the haul that became the uh, the no stars version of the two year two and a half year no stars version of the Denver Nuggets that actually uh, managed to have the best Nuggets record in history in 2012-13. Mello gets traded. Uh, the Nuggets have to ship off Chauncey Billups, Ronaldo Balkman. Uh, I think Anthony Carter went too. No, Anthony Carter wasn't. Was uh, I'm trying to remember. Anyway, it was a bunch of players going back for, back and forth. The Nuggets got Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Timofey Mozgov, um, Ray Felton, and uh, as an extent of the offshoot of the trade, also got Corey Brewer and. Uh, Costa Kufas, uh, they, they all came at the same time. So, and the Nuggets got uh, first-round picks from the Knicks. So, all this came together. I think it would be more fair, with all this put into the stew, I think it would be more fair to say from all sides that this was a complicated situation that had many different moving parts happening at the same time. Mello and his version of events obviously are from maybe not necessarily his perspective, but from an obvious sense, he was, I think you can safely say, very affected by the boos that rained down on him in game one of the Portland Nuggets series. There is zero doubt, zero doubt that Mello could not believe that after 10 years he was still being booed in Denver. And it affected him in a way that I think you're seeing him now. Now, what is not pointed out is something that, and you know, we're talking about fan perception. Carmelo Anthony gave an interview to Woj about three months ago, three, four months ago, where he talks about going into the Hall of Fame. Along with other self-serving things he talked about, like, look, he's a player who's trying to control his narrative. I get it. I mean, it's, you want to put your own stamp on your own life and career. Do it. But one of the things he said was he would go into the Hall of Fame, as a new, even though you don't go into a, the Hall of Fame as a, you know, as a team, uh, under a team. That's only You only do that... Uh, uh, in uh, Major League Baseball, um, you do not go uh, in as a member of a certain team in the NBA or the NFL. And Carmelo said he would go in as a Knicks player because he's more known as a New York Knicks even though he had his most success and arguably hit his prime and uh, all that stuff as a Denver Nuggets player, 
that has happened. So what 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 has happened in this denouement ten years later is Mello has, and it is a clear to me a lack of understanding about what he did or what he participated in, and how that affects fans. Because right, make no doubt about it, folks. This is between Carmelo Anthony and his perception in Denver Nuggets fans with Nuggets fans, and you can bet it probably burns him just a little that Nikola Jokic has number 15 at Denver, right? And there are things that Mello wants to reclaim without having done any of the work in the last 10 years. Mello has made zero effort to reconnect with the city of Denver. Mello has made zero effort to be appreciated, to to reach out and say, look, I, I did what I thought was best at the time, but some of my best years were in Denver. He refuses to say that. And when he says stuff like my, you know, I'll go in as a Knicks player, even though he, some of the worst, his worst seasons uh, record-wise as a pro uh, were at the tail end of his Knicks tenure. Carmelo Anthony has made zero attempt to repair his legacy with the Denver Nuggets. And the question I would ask Melo is, why would you expect people to re-embrace you if you haven't acknowledged why they booed you. That's simply it. But it's fair to say to Nuggets fans that this whole thing was a lot deeper and a lot had a lot more moving pieces than you realize. No one was had their hands clean in this operation. As with any business decision, it is multifaceted, and the Nuggets really did not maximize, in Melo's view, the roster that could compete against the Lakers. That was legitimately his view. Whether you agree with him or not is a different subject, but that was his thought. And if he felt that Stan Kroenke was not going to pay to have the roster improved, then that is something that is between him and him and Stan. But that would be, I feel, a legitimate reason to want out. Regardless of the way this thing turned out, there's a lot of different moving parts. Mello's desire to be to New York and the Nuggets' kind of inertia that they kind of went through in 2009 and 10 that all came together for Carmelo Anthony to be traded out of Denver. It's been 10 years. My message to Mello is eventually the fans will either forgive you or remember uh, all the good you did. But that's going to require some effort on your part. And until you put forth that effort, I don't think it's fair to require fans to put forth that effort on you. All right, thank you all for joining me in the latest Mortcast part of the CSE Network. I'll be back next week with another podcast. So long. <laughs>